Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks to my volunteers last week for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciated that. Uh, it's just me this week. I thought that I would jump into doing something that both GP and ER will see quite commonly. I chose ITP. So we're going to jump into like what ITP is, what platelets are, um, how this happens, how we treat it, and kind of long-term prognosis stuff for it. So real quick, just some background. What ITP, the actual, what it stands for is immune-mediated thrombocytopenia. Thrombocytopenia means that there are low platelets. So what platelets do are there are these little tiny like kind of proteins, but they go to the side of a cut or some side of bleeding. It's like, let's say you have a cut and the very first thing that goes there are these little tiny platelets and they make the first layer to help make sure you stop the bleeding. But they're very important because let's say you don't have them, none of the rest of those clotting factors or your red blood cells, nothing else will know to come unless you have those there. They have to be there. Otherwise, you're not going to start clotting your blood. So they're very, very important. Now for thrombocytopenia just in general, so low platelets in general, there are four main reasons why you can have low platelets. Those are because you could have just not producing enough platelets. Those are usually things like cancerous type things. You could have platelets being destroyed. Those are usually going to be things like heartworm disease can cause that. Uh, Tick-borne diseases can cause that. You could have the platelets being consumed, meaning that uh, think about dogs who have tumors that are bleeding, like there's tumors on their spleen. Those will cause a lot of bleeding. And so the platelets will be the first things that go there to try to help stop the bleeding. But they're getting consumed constantly because they can't stop that bleeding. There's just not enough of them. Or you can have an the fourth thing would be an abnormal platelet distribution or what we call um, just sequestering. And that's usually going to be like something similar to like the, the spleens. Like if they just, it's just being um, held in the spleen for like, if it does have things like, let's say that bleeding mass, like if it's not bleeding a lot, we just have like a little tiny leakage. Uh, they'll oftentimes be just like held in the spleen specifically for immune-mediated thrombocytopenia, that usually means that there's lack of red, or sorry, lack of platelets because of the body's own immune system. And we'll kind of get into the reasons why here in just a second. The There are two different types. There are primary causes and there are secondary causes. So real quick for the primary causes, that usually means that the body itself is caused not from any other outside factors. So like the body is destroying its own platelets just simply because, just simply because the dog exists. So this usually occurs in usually like middle-aged females. Uh, typically the most common breeds are going to be Cocker Spaniels, Sheepdogs, German Shepherds, and Poodles. But there's also secondary causes. So those secondary causes are typically things like infections, drugs, cancer. Um, you can even get it from when you're giving platelets that they can get this. And then also, importantly, is vaccines. 
So we have to start looking at all these different causes for like what could potentially be making this dog thrombocytopenic before we can decide what the true cause of this is. When we're looking at these things, we're looking to see like, is this primary or secondary by a couple things? One, we're looking at the dog's history. So this is where our, you know, our triage technicians, it's really important for them to get this history of things that these dogs could have been on, where they've been. Um, so let's say Jordan goes out and gets a history on this shepherd. And the things that you're going to want to ask, especially if the, let's say the owner comes in and says that the dog has bruising on its abdomen. That should be really important to you to think, well, that's not good. You know, we have some sort of bleeding disorder going on, right? So the most important things you're going to be asking for are, one, is there any exposure to rat bait? That's not going to be anything related to ITP, but we need to know that for sure. Like, is there any way that the dog could be exposed to rat bait? But then also asking about travel history. Has the dog been out of state? Has the dog been in eastern Washington? Uh, has it been anywhere outside of where we are now? Has the dog been vaccinated recently? And by recently, like in the last couple of weeks recently. Is there any new medications that the dog has started? Even supplements will count for this. Like even CBD supplements, like any sort of supplement the dog has been on. Um, is the tick, is the dog on tick prevention right now? And has it been on tick prevention? And then also another big one, like we've talked about before in the previous podcast was, you know, is, has this dog had any exposure to any raw fish? And all of those things would kind of help us rule out what could be the problem with this dog. We're going to get blood work next because we need to figure out, is this dog thrombocytopenic or is this dog anemic, which is lack of red blood cells. But we kind of need to know that history to help us base where we need to go with this. And then some of the things that we're going to be looking for is like, where is this hemorrhaging occurring? Because that's going to help us kind of decide whether this is something that's going to be, you know, is this something that's a primary thing or is this a secondary thing? Primary diseases, the primary um, IMH, or sorry, primary ITP is usually going to be due to, like, you'll usually see bruising places, you'll see bruising of the gums, you'll see bruising of the abdomen. And just for terminology's sake, bruising depends on how big the bruising is as to what it's called. So bruising, if it's just like little tiny pinpoints of bruising, that's called petechia. Versus if it's really big bruising, like think about like when you slam your leg on the side of the desk or something, you have this giant bruise or the dog bunny kicks you and they got this giant bruise in the side of your thigh, right? That's called ecchymosis when that occurs. Um, you can also have like minor bleeding, like usually from the mucosa. So from like the gums and stuff or gingival bleeding is what we'll call that. Or some gastrointestinal bleeding. So even dogs who are having bloody diarrhea that or bloody vomiting, those can also be from a lack of platelets or, or IMHA. It can be from both of those things. And then blood in the urine as well. Usually those are our primary ones. Secondary IMHAs 
Typically, we're going to see bleeding into body cavities, and that's usually the platelets have to get pretty low. They got to get under 40,000 in order to see this, but but from those, we'll see it like bleeding into the into the chest, so hemothorax, bleeding into the abdomen, so we'll call that a hemoabdomen, uh, bleeding into the joints, so that's called a hemarthrosis. You can have pulmonary hemorrhage, so that's bleeding into the lungs, and you can have hyphema bleeding into the eyes. So you can look at their eyes and you'll see like red in the eyes, that's hyphema. Um, sometimes you'll see really large hematomas, and those can also just be from secondary just secondary IATPs as well, but not as common. And then, you know, a lot of times too, you're also going to see these dogs are really weak. Um, they're tachycardic, so really high heart rates. They will sometimes have a murmur, depending if there's an anemia that's there. And sometimes they're having tachypnea, so they're breathing really fast when they have the anemia as well. And that anemia is occurring because if they don't have the platelets and they're bleeding into some cavities, like let's say they have a hemoabdomen or you know they're bleeding into their lungs, they are going to lose all those red blood cells because they can't create that clot. And so now not only are they thrombocytopenic because they can't create the clot, they're now anemic because they're losing all of their red blood cells at the same time. That complicates things a lot for us when we're trying to diagnose these dogs. But, you know, so how do we diagnose these for sure? So some of the things that we're doing is blood work. Like I said, you know, the most important thing is going to firstly be doing a CBC. So a complete blood cell count. That's going to tell us if the dog is anemic and how anemic it is. So does it have a lot of red blood cells? Does it have very little red blood cells? It's also going to tell us that the dog is thrombocytopenic. So does it have very little platelets? And then also doing a manual count of that. So you should ask Jordan or Latoya at some point to show you what a platelet looks like. When you look at it on a slide, it's a cute little purple thing. Uh, so look, you should look at a platelet to see what those look like. They're much littler than even a red blood cell. They're pretty tiny. So it's, you know, powered on a little tiny little thing. But we're looking at a manual count to be able to check to see if when we're running that CBC on the machine, is that correct? Or did the machine read it incorrectly? Because remember, we can't always trust machines. Sometimes we have to look at it on a slide to be able to tell if it's correct or not. Because sometimes there's clumping inside those tubes. And I might say that the dog is thrombocytopenic, but when we actually look at it on the slide, there might be plenty of platelets and we don't have to worry about it. And maybe it's not a platelet disorder. Maybe it's a that the dog is just actually just anemic, not platelets. But you know, the next big thing is if we find that the dog is truly thrombocytopenic, now we have to decide, you know, is this a primary cause or is this a secondary cause? So is the dog just doing this because, just because? Like, is it just attacking its own body just because? Or is it attacking its body because of a secondary problem? So there's no way for us to like look at those platelets to tell. 
But when it's a primary cause, it's usually because the body has produced a antibody. So when we're thinking about people being sick or dogs being sick, you know, your own body is producing an antibody to fight off that illness. In ITP, the dog is producing an antibody to fight off what it thinks is an invader. So it thinks in primary ITP that the membrane of the platelet is the invader. But it's not. It's part of its normal immune system. In secondary ITP, usually it's because whatever it is that's affecting it, so like let's say the dog has an infection, that infection creates this antigen, which is just basically like the invader. The invader goes and attacks the platelet, like it sits on the, the outer coating of the platelet, and then the body sees the platelet and it sees the invader, and it's like, no, that the whole system here, your whole thing here, it's got to go. And so when it starts attacking, what it thinks is the problem, which means the whole platelet and the invader have to go. So every time the body sees an invader, it tries to kill it. But when it sees a platelet, it tries to kill it as well. So it's just destroying every platelet that it sees. With the diagnosis, like I said, there's no way for us to be able to physically look at the platelet to be able to see whether this is a primary problem or a secondary problem. So remember how we broke it down before into those four main reasons as to like why we would have a thrombocytopenia? That's what we're kind of doing when we're trying to think of why the dog potentially has thrombocytopenia. So first we're looking at like decreased platelets. So we're asking the owners, is there any way that they started any new medications? And then we're looking at that CBC again to see is there any signs of any infections? We're looking at the urinalysis for signs of infection. We're looking at the blood work for signs of infection. And then we're also doing an ultrasound to look for usually cancer. You know, so typically we're looking at the spleen, the liver, the kidneys, and pretty much just anywhere in the abdomen to look for obvious masses. We're also doing x-rays to be able to look for masses in the chest. When we do an ultrasound, it's not very easy to find uh, masses in the chest. There's just a lot of structures in our way, like the ribs are in our way. The lungs are really difficult to be able to see masses on sometimes. So a lot of times we're doing x-rays to be able to find masses in the chest. The second way we said that could be a problem would be that if the platelets were being destroyed. So these are things like that fall under those categories is going to be idiopathic, meaning we don't know why. It's just usually a primary cause. It's just the body is just doing that. It's just, it's just made these antibodies to start breaking down platelets. Other things are going to be drugs. Like I said, did the did the body start you know, destroying it because you started a new drug? Like sulfa drugs have been known to do this, but lots of other drugs can. Like it, any new drug that started could potentially do this. Or even um, supplements, like I said before. We're also looking for tick-borne diseases. So we're doing a 4DX. So 4DX, just real quick, it's the 4DX is a little complicated because that does not tell us every single tick-borne disease that is out there. It's just the most common ones that we're going to see. So if we really wanted to know, like, is this for sure tick-borne disease? Like, let's say the dog came from Texas or somewhere where there's a lot of ticks. And I was like, I really think that this is a tick-borne disease. 
I would send out a tick-borne panel. I would still do the 4DX in-house, but I would send out a tick-borne panel to be able to say for sure. So that means I'm sending it out to the lab. Other things to, to destroy platelets are, platelets are going to be cancer again. And then um, also some some autoimmune disorders like lupus. Um, I'm sure you hear that a lot probably in, in humans, but dogs also get it as well. So system, systemic lupus erythematous. Uh, I'll get into that on a later podcast. That's a lot to go into. But um, some other autoimmune disorders can cause more autoimmune disorders as well. So platelet destruction from those two. The next category we talked about was when there's platelet consumption. So when we have blood loss. So again, looking on ultrasound to be able to see, is there a big mass? Is there a hemoabdomen? Looking on x-rays to be able to see if there is blood in the chest or in the lungs. And then also looking for signs of endotoxemia. So that means that there is really bad infection in the bloodstream. We're looking at the blood work for that. So we're usually looking to see is the dog have really low glucose, which is really important. So when we ask you guys like to get a, a blood glucose from the vein, even though you just did blood work, like that's why, because we need to know is that accurate, that blood glucose accurate. And then also looking for signs of infection there. And then also looking for things like vasculitis. So if we see that the dog has a lot of swelling in some areas, we're going to look for that. And also DIC. So DIC is again, a whole nother huge topic, but um, DIC actually means disseminated intravascular coagulation. In the veterinary field, we jokingly call it death is coming because it is not good. It is a really bad, bad prognosis. It is not easy to come back from. It usually means lots and lots of blood transfusions and hoping we get through it. But in most cases, they do not survive from it. And then the last big category we talked about was going to be from that abnormal platelet distribution, right? So when I was talking about the fact that sometimes the spleen will just like hold on to the platelets. So if we see a giant spleen, then we start worrying about is that where all the platelets are going? So like I said, some of our big things we're going to be doing for blood for diagnostics are going to be blood work, urinalysis. Um, we're going to be looking at a manual platelet count. So we're going to be asking Jordan and Latoya to make their platelet counts. Everybody should also go ask Jordan and Latoya to show them how to do a blood smear. Um, cause it's, it's important to be able to learn how to do that. And it's, a, it's like an art form. Uh, you have to have a feathered edge. It's gotta be real pretty. You have like to have this very, very small single layer of cells on the outside. And then after you've done your, your blood smear, you're going to do it like 500 times <laughs> so that you can get it right. But you got to do it quite a lot to be able to get good at it. But it should be something that you should at least try. Like you should try to do that, especially too. Like if you guys need the blood smears and Latoya and Jordan are backed up like crazy, that's going to help them out so much just to be able to go do the smear for them. And even if that means that they're, you know, dipping the slides, just doing that blood smear for them, I'm sure they would be thrilled, like over the moon. 
When they're doing the blood smears, uh, there's lots of things that they're going to be looking for on the blood smear. So one of those things is going to be like looking to see, do we actually have enough platelets? You know, are there, what do those platelets look like? Are they clumped or are there just really big platelets? Because just real interesting fact here. So King Charles Cavaliers have giant platelets. They're called macrothrombocytopenia when they have giant platelets. So when you look at a blood smear from a King Charles Cavalier or when you look at their CBC, it's going to show that almost all King Charles Cavaliers have uh, low platelets. But that's not actually true. That's just their, that's just how they, that's just them. That's just what they do. So you don't have to worry about them. A lot of times they're not going to be thrombocytopenic unless they're down to zero. Then I'm real concerned. But theirs are actually like from 25,000 to 100,000. And just for a general reference, usually our blood smears, we want them to be over 150,000. Like that's a pretty normal, healthy uh, platelet count. And then they're also looking to see like, do we have really large platelets? Those are called megakaryocytes. So we're looking to see like, is the dog trying to make more platelets? A megakaryocyte means that the it's coming from the marrow and they're trying to kick it out faster than they normally would to be able to help stop the bleeding that's occurring somewhere or just help push out more platelets into the body. So they're looking for all of these things. And then they're also doing that platelet count, like I said. So typically what they're doing is they are uh, looking in 10 different fields on that slide. And then they're taking the average of that and then multiplying that by 15,000 to be able to calculate the platelet count. There are variations on that. Some people do like 10 fields and multiply it by 20,000. That's fine as well. We're just trying to get like somewhat of an estimate of how many platelets there are on that blood smear. And then, um, you know, the there are bigger testing things that you can do. Not that we end up doing because we don't have them here because or it's not usually something we do here, but you can get bone marrow samples. So if we're, if we've kind of done everything else and we start to think, well, we think that maybe this could be from the bone marrow that the dog has a bone marrow problem. It's just not producing enough platelets. You can get things like a bone marrow sample and send that out to be able to say like whether or not there is cancer there. Um, you can do things like flow cytometry, which is uh, something that you send out to the lab and it kind of tells you, it's not a great test. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> so some people will do it. I've seen it in the specialty practices before, but it has a lot of false positives. And so it's not a great test to be able to do. But just in case you go to another clinic and you see it. It's it's just supposed to tell you um, whether there are antiplatelet antibodies there or not. It doesn't actually tell you the cause of it. It just tells you that it's ITP. Now that we've kind of gone over this huge myriad of everything that could potentially cause ITP, now we're going to go into how do we treat it? Now, if we've done all of these diagnostics, like let's say we've done the ultrasound, we've done x-rays, we've done blood work, we don't really see anything except for the fact that the dog has low platelets. What do we do? You know, because if it's something else, like let's say we have the dog has a splenic tumor, we're going to go to surgery. If the dog has, let's say, 
it has, uh, we did the 4DX and it comes up positive. We're going to treat for that particular tick, which is 99% of the time going to be doxycycline that we're going to give. But otherwise, you know, unless we find the very specific problem, we're going to start treating for ITP as if it is a primary cause, not a secondary cause. So a lot of times we can treat these guys as an outpatient as long as they don't have like significant bleeding. If there's significant bleeding somewhere, then sometimes we have to consider doing a, a transfusion. Um, I'm sorry, there was also one more other diagnostic I forgot to mention. We also are doing coags. So we're doing looking at the coagulation factors. So we're looking to make sure that they're not elevated. Because if they're elevated, then we have to start worrying about having to give the dog a plasma transfusion. It depends on how elevated they are. If it's just the PT that's elevated, because there's PT and PTT. And I'll, again, these are a lot to go into, so I'll go into these on another day like coagulation. But if one of those are elevated, then we have to start worrying about giving those dog a transfusion, a blood transfusion or a plasma transfusion, just kind of depending on whether the dog is anemic, so not having a lot of red blood cells or not. So instead, some of these dogs, if they don't have significant bleeding, we can potentially just treat them as an outpatient. Um, but if they do have significant bleeding, then we have to hospitalize those patients, especially if there's bleeding into you know, the lungs. Like that's not good. We have to usually hospitalize those patients in oxygen if that's the case. And with the bleeding, like these things can occur every, anywhere, by the way. Like even though it's not very common, you can bleed into like the brain and the spinal cord. So even dogs who have come in comatose, even those dogs could have, could be an ITP dog. What are we going to do to treat this dog? One of the first things that we'll usually end up doing is giving vincristine. So if anybody has gone through cancer treatment with their dog or their parents or somebody have gone through cancer treatment, vincristine is a cancer drug. So why are we giving cancer drugs, right? Vincristine does a lot of really cool things. Like they actually like came up with 25 different mechanisms of how vincristine produces more platelets. But the big important factors of it are that it helps stop the destruction of platelets. So we talked about how pretty much in both primary and secondary ITP, the body is destroying the platelet for one reason or another, whether it's destroying it because it's going after the membrane or it's destroying it because it's going after that um, the complex that is the infection or whatever is the secondary problem that's causing it. Either way, the body's going after that platelet. So vincristine helps stop the body from destroying it because it causes immunosuppression. So it tells the body to stop its immune system. It's just like, stop, back off, stop going after all of your platelets. It also helps induce thrombocytosis, meaning that the body is producing more platelets. So it's telling your bone marrow, hey, you got to kick out more platelets because we don't have enough. That usually occurs within seven days. Like this is not like we give the vincristine and just automatically we have more platelets. Okay, this is, it, it takes a long time. So that's why we don't usually hospitalize these dogs for that whole period of time that they're here. There's no reason. It's going to take a long time before we can do that. But 
you know, still giving them increasing will help with that. It helps produce the plates faster than what it normally would have before. Because remember how I talked before about sometimes when we take blood from little dogs, it could be like three weeks, two, three weeks before it produces enough platelets again. So how do we give them vincristine real quick? You do have to put in a catheter for them because we cannot have the vincristine go through the skin. Uh, it will cause the skin to die. Like it has to go into the vein, a very clean stick. So even when we put the IV catheters in, it can't be like a, uh, it kind of blew a little bit. We should be okay though. It has to be a clean stick IV catheter. Like we got to make sure that there is no blowing of the catheter around that. Otherwise this will cause like all that skin to necrose around it. So really clean catheter. And then we're also putting the dog on other immunosuppressives as well. So we're usually put them, putting them on prednisone. Prednisone is a steroid and it's, we put them on a pretty high dose of it. So it's going to cause a lot of things. One of the things that with anybody who is going to be checking these dogs out, like let's say, um, you know, Tia goes and checks out this dog for, for the ITP, you know, She's going to want to go over some of these side effects from some of these drugs. Like one of the, some of the big side effects for prednisone is the dog is going to drink a ton of water, like tons, buckets full of water. And it's going to pee constantly because we're putting them on really high doses to make sure that their body has, has, is wanting to stop killing all of these platelets. So I just warn people, like if their dog, Pees on the carpet, like th that's a thing. It's a possible thing. Okay, so if you're worried that your dog is going to pee on your white carpet, like maybe you need to put your dog in an area that's not the carpet. Because th sometimes they just can't get out to the potty yard because they're just, their bladder fills up so quickly. The other thing is one beneficial thing for us is that it makes them have a bigger appetite, but also people then think they need to feed their dog a lot more. So they start just like dumping food in there, which is not good. We don't want them to eat a ton of food. And this is kind of more for GP, I feel like too. When you have dogs on prednisone, you should be telling them like, we don't need to feed the dog more. And if the dog is hungry, you can give them other snacks that are like low calorie snacks, like let's say celery, um, carrots, green beans, you know, things that are low calorie things, not not just dumping more food or giving them lots of table scraps because they're going to become real fat real fast. Otherwise, uh, the other thing I tell people at home too is if their dog is not the type of dog to get into trash cans and on counters and stuff, while that dog is on prednisone, it will become that dog. It will get into trash cans. So you need to make sure that you put everything up while that dog is on steroids. And they're usually going to be on steroids for a while. Like we need to make sure that those platelets have come back fully before we start to wean them off of that prednisone. We try to get them onto a different drug after that because prednisone has so many side effects. Like it also in the long term can cause their liver values to go up. It can, they have studies that have said that it could lead to Cushing's and diabetes, mostly in like cats and stuff. But still, you know, there are, there are bad things that can that can happen from long-term steroid use. So we try to switch them off of it as soon as possible, but it's still going to be like months before we do that. So 
Other drugs that we put them on too, a lot of times you'll see them not just on one immunotherapy, we're probably going to put them on a second immunosuppressive therapy as well. Those ones, there's three big ones. There's mycophenolate, cyclosporine, and azathioprine. These are, they all pretty much do the same thing. You don't really need to know the mechanism of action between all of them, but they all pretty much do the exact same thing. Sometimes we put them on one versus another just because it's hard to dose them based on their weight. Some people, some doctors specifically prefer one drug over the other, and that's fine as well, but they're all basically going to do the same thing. The next big thing, T is going to be like, hey, you got to go to the store and get this dog some melatonin. And the dog, the owner's going to be like, what? What do you mean I got to get, get this dog melatonin? You just want my dog to sleep? Like, that's the point? Is that your, the dog sleeps and suddenly it's going to create more platelets? Well, actually, they did studies and it was really cool. My, my criticalist, which I have a story for you guys after this, my criticalist slash cardiologist, he actually did the, did one of these studies as to determine if melatonin helps with thrombocytopenia. And it was just some random way that they had come across this. I, th I can't remember exactly. I think it was just that they had done it for something else. But they found that melatonin had increased platelets. So one thing is I tell people they have done studies. It does show that it helps increase platelets. But let's say it didn't. Let's say it didn't increase platelets. Is it going to hurt your dog at all? No. That's not going to hurt the dog. So we might as well do it because it's going to potentially help. Because some people think that it doesn't help. And there haven't been any studies specifically to say that, no, there's no way it doesn't help. But they have done studies to say mm, it may not help. But we're basing this a lot on human medicine too, besides just the couple of papers that are in veterinary medicine. Another thing that we can potentially do is um, giving the dog platelets. So we can give them um, IV platelets. There are some risks to that, and it's not something we commonly do, but because a lot of times the dog is going to be able to reproduce its own platelets by itself, but it is something we can do. There are things like the biggest risks can be that if we give the dog platelets, the dog will just destroy all of them. It's kind of expensive and it may just destroy it. And then you're back to square one again. You can also have like anaphylaxis from it. So you give the dog platelets, it has an allergic reaction to it. And then, and it's not necessarily to the platelets. It's usually the additives in the platelets, to the platelets, the things that keep it stable. And then we're kind of have this sensitivity that, that occurs. The last big thing is we've, if we've done all of these things and nothing is working, you can possibly do a splenectomy. And these are usually for refractory cases. So meaning like we've treated them, we've gotten them out of it, and they just go right back to it again. You can potentially do a splenectomy because a lot of this comes usually from the spleen causing this. But the chances of being able to do the splenectomy when the dog has thrombocytopenia and it cannot it cannot you know, go to the site of bleeding. Like if I cut open the abdomen and now all the platelets go to where I've now cut into the abdomen, now you don't have any more platelets left to be able to heal. So it's not a great option. It's like last ditch effort. The owner 
we'll try anything and we don't have another option. That's kind of, that's kind of our last option there. So it's kind of like our emergency treatments of it. And what do we do afterwards? So like I said, we've discharged the dog. TA's gone over all of the medications. And when do we want to see these dogs back? Um, there are discharges that talk about like when we want to see these dogs back. It's kind of, sometimes this is kind of case to case because we want to see like when the platelets are starting to, starting to return. Um, and when we want to be able to see when we can taper medications off. But, um, a lot of times we're rechecking these dogs like once weekly to be able to see where their platelet counts are. And then once they return to normal, that's when we can start deciding if we can taper them off of things. So start taking them down to just one immunosuppressive and not two immunosuppressive drugs. And then reducing these drugs by 25% every three to four weeks, just so we can get them to the point where we can get them on either one medication for a while, or after we've done that, off of all medications. This is a long haul that they're going to be in. That is very important for the owners to know. This is not going to be like, I give them a magic pill and the dog is going to be fine. Like this is four six months at least that this is going to go on for of just medications, rechecking their blood work, making sure that everything is okay. And their platelets, like after we've kind of like started tapering them off, we're still rechecking their blood work. We're rechecking them every couple of months to make sure that everything is looking okay and that they're not relapsing. So it's really important that the people are coming back for follow-up constantly on these things. The biggest problems for them relapsing, one is going to be because of the owners not being compliant. They're not giving the treatment appropriately. They're forgetting to give the medications. They're not coming in for the follow-up blood work. And so we miss those things like the platelet count dropping because we don't know. We can't see it because the dog's not with us, right? But also the second most important cause is because they're just going to relapse especially with dogs who have um, who have primary ITP. So if they have it just because it's attacking the membrane and not because of a secondary cause, uh, those dogs are more likely to relapse. So they're the ones that have it because of a secondary problem, we're hopefully fixing those dogs. You know, also one of the other things that we're doing with a lot of these dogs is even if we don't have a history of, of, you know, going somewhere else, traveling to another place, we're still sending them home on doxycycline. So it's an antibiotic that kills a lot of those tick-borne diseases. Even if we don't have the history, it's not going to hurt the dog at that point. The only thing that we're going to do is help because even if we sent out a PCR, so if we sent out testing to be able to see if it did have some tick-borne disease, it's going to take over a week to come back. And at that period of time, we could have been treating that dog the whole time. So we're also sending that home as well. Like, let's say all of that comes back negative. It ends up being just a primary case. The relapse of these cases is anywhere between 10 to 40% of them are going to relapse again. It's going to happen again. So we have to also prepare owners that it's, this is, this is a good possibility. It's a good possibility that this is going to happen again. So it's really important that they stay on top of getting this blood work done all the time.
most of the time, these dogs do okay. They they will survive at least the first time of going through this, like the mortality rate. So the rate of death is usually only about a 10 to 15% chance. And that really depends on like how bad they are and what the cause of it is. Like I said, if it's DIC, death is coming. There is a good chance it is not going to survive this. You know, is it a bad decision for the owners to euthanize them if they if they don't think that they can be compliant on any of this? No, it is not the wrong decision. They 100% should euthanize that pet because otherwise, if they don't think that they can do the medications, they don't think that they can come back in for all of these blood testing, that dog is just going to bleed. If they don't think that they can do all these things, then that also means that they're probably not going to be able to pay as good of attention to the dog as we need them to, which means the dog is going to suffer. So really, the dog should be put to sleep if they think that they can't do it. So another big thing to to just think about is, you know, just knowing, just telling them that it's okay, like it's okay to think that, to, to think about putting the pet to sleep, especially too, because of the cost, you know, the cost is going to be expensive. Usually this is going to be a couple thousand dollars that they're going to be investing in this. I mean, just, just doing those diagnostics alone, you're probably going to be looking at around, you know, $2,000 or so just for those diagnostics. Plus you have the medications, plus you have all of the, the follow-up afterwards. So this is, this is very intense when they go through this. All right. I'm sorry if I was a little scatterbrained today. My, Kids, I well, first of all, I stayed up very late after my shift, and my kids are sick, and so I've been. I uh, wanted to make sure I got this out to you guys because I know it's Tuesday, and I'm sure you guys probably expect this on Tuesdays. And I'm sorry if I hear you hear me sniffly at all. I think that my kids are starting to get me sick, but I do have a fun story for you. So my, so I wrote a paper, um, a couple years ago, so six years ago. I wrote a paper and it was about how uh, veterinarians dress, like whether clients care how veterinarians dress. Do they care if we're dressed in scrubs or in business attire or in casual clothes? And my paper basically said that no, nobody really cared how we dress. So I... I did not come up with the wanting to do this paper. It was actually my criticalist slash cardiologist who had wanted to do this paper. And he's like, hey, uh, you're the intern. So I'm telling you, you're going to do this paper. And I was like, I don't want to do this paper. I don't want to be a specialist. Why do you want me to write this paper? And he's like, because you're my intern, you're going to do this paper. I was like, fine. So I wrote this paper and it ended up getting into JAFMA, which is the, the top journal every single veterinarian wants to get into. All my friends who were in vet school, they are all boarded specialists. They were all very upset that I got into JAFMA and they did not. So I got into JAFMA and this last month, my criticalist slash cardiologist, he put my, he submitted my paper to the um, board for an award. He had said, like, everybody who they thought should get an award for the most influential paper was submitted. And my paper won that award for the most influential paper, which was super cool. I, first of all, did not think that I would get into this journal because it's such a big journal. 
And I did not think that I was going to get this award. And there's been so many things that have happened just because of writing this paper. Like I had, my paper has been on Vet Girl. If anybody knows Vet Girl, it's been on Vet Girl. My paper has been on the cover of Vin. Um, I've had, I've had about 16 other people who have written papers because of it. And, you know, when I did this, I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. I was like, well, nobody cares what a veterinarian wears. Like, I don't think that any other veterinarian is going to care about this paper, but apparently it was a, it was a pretty big deal. So I was pretty proud of that. Uh, but not only that, so I won this award and now because of this award, I have a whole bunch of other things that are happening. So I have that I'm going to be on another podcast. The AVMA is doing, they have a podcast called the Vortex or Vertex, I think. Um, I'm going to be on that podcast and my school Western is, is there going to be, um, publishing an article about me and there's just a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So kind of cool things going on. I'll still get you guys your content on Tuesdays. Don't worry. And like I said, if anybody has any things specific that they want to do, just let me know. Um, thank you again for all of your great feedback. I super appreciate it. I love having people come up to me afterwards and just tell me that they are enjoying the podcast. You know, like I said, I do this just on my own. So I, I just want to be able to get this information out to you guys. So I really appreciate that everybody is enjoying it. All right. I will see you guys later. Have a great day. Thanks.